Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43. And we'll begin reading in verse 10. This is the word of the Lord. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved, and I have shewed. When there is, was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon, and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans, whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your king. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and, the, and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise, they are extinct, they are quenched as tow. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, ye shall not know it, shall ye not know it. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself, and they shall shew forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. Thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifice. I have not caused uh, thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins, Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins, and will not remember thy sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before thy throne of grace this morning, and we're thankful to be seated at thy throne. Lord, knowing that thy throne is a throne of grace unto us and not a throne of condemnation, not a throne of judgment, not a throne of wrath, not a throne of fear, but God, we can come before thy presence with peace and serenity, knowing that you have paid for our sins, that you have washed away our transgressions, and you've placed them as far as the east is from the west, so that there is nothing that would prevent us from coming to you and begging your grace. And so this morning we come before your throne recognizing that you are the uh, sovereign of the universe, that you are 
the first and the last. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. There was none before you. There'll be none after you. You are everlasting God. And so we pray this morning that you would bless us with your presence, that you would forgive us of our sins. Father, for we confess that we are sinful beings. God, that uh, the motions of sin do work within us so that uh, with the mind we seek to serve you, but in the flesh often, Father, we fall and we fail, and our flesh works all manner of deceit. Father, for our heart is deceitfully wicked, uh, desperately wicked and deceitful. Above all things, Father, who can know it? God, and we confess with Paul that in our flesh dwells no good thing, and we recognize that this morning. But, Father, we have been born again. Lord, we trust that we have been renewed by grace and that within us dwells your pure and righteous spirit, the righteous spirit of Christ, and that we are clothed in his righteousness this morning. And so we, bless, we ask you this morning, Father, that you would bless us. God, give us understanding, give us knowledge, and give us wisdom. God, may the words that we have read this morning resonate with our souls. May they pierce through any hardness of heart that we may have. God, may uh, you lift any blind eyes. May you heal any blind eyes. May you unclog any deaf ears. Father, that may, we may hear the truth in Christ Jesus, that we may see with the eye of faith clearly and undeterred and unhindered. Father, that we may behold the beautiful things that are contained in your word. Father, may these words that we have read enrich our lives. May we grow spiritually. May our roots uh, uh, dive down deep into thy word. God, and may we bring forth the precious fruit unto thy glory, that men may see the good works that you are working within us, the fruit that we bear, and that they may glorify you which are in heaven. God, we exist totally and fully for your glory. That is why we breathe. That is why we move. It is for your glory and your glory alone. And so this morning we ask that you would glorify yourself in us. Glorify yourself in the hearers through the reception of the word. God, glorify yourself in me through the giving of the word. For there is nothing that I can say Father, that would be glorifying to your name apart from your grace. I need you. I need your grace. I need your spirit so that what is presented here this morning would not be a demonstration of my wisdom or any eloquence that I may possess, but, Father, that it may be a beautiful display of your wisdom, of your power, Lord, of your glory, of your eloquence. God, I just pray that you would be with this church, that you would establish her in truth, that you would grow her. May we grow in unity and in love one to another. God, and may we grow numerically as you bring your children out of this community, out of false doctrines, Father, out of an ungodly lifestyle, Father, that they would be converted to thy truth, and that you would draw those that are such as should be saved to this place. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and amen. <clears throat>
We've read a very lengthy passage of Scripture this morning, and typically I don't, uh, when I'm preaching an expository message on a passage and going through verse by verse, I typically don't like to take big chunks because it takes a while to get through it, and I often get bogged down, but uh, there's just so much here that goes together of what God is speaking to the nation of Israel in this moment. And there's a lot here that I found that was very relevant as I begin to study this out to our lives. And God makes some very powerful statements here, and so this morning I'm going to be speaking to you on the topic of being witnesses of grace. God begins in our passage here this morning by making a declarative statement to the nation of Israel. This is something that he is telling them that they are. He says, ye are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone that has seen a particular event. Maybe they have seen a car crash. You know, oftentimes when a crime has been committed, the law enforcement agencies will begin to look for witnesses. They want someone there that has seen what actually transpired that they can give an accurate testimony of the things that they have seen, that they have witnessed, and they can be a witness on the stand in any type of trial or uh, any type of, uh, of legal endeavor there. If it was going to go to trial, they want these people that were actually there that saw what happened to come out and to give their testimony. But it doesn't just relate to crime. We are witnesses to a great many things. You know, when someone gets married, you have to sign, they have to have someone there that is a witness to that, that event. That's a good event, right? And, and you have to have a witness there to witness that so in case someone says, hey, I didn't actually marry them, the witness is there to say, no, actually, you did. <laughs> and you said and made these particular promises when you got married. We also have the privilege of being witnesses at the events of birth. I was privileged to be the witness of the birth of every one of my children. I saw it. I saw the whole process. I saw when they came into the world. And I am glad that I got to be a witness of that event. And through the history of my life, personally, I have been the witness to some grand events and to some not-so-great events. I've lived through 9-11. I watched that with my own eyes. I was a witness to that event. And there's been many, many different events that I've seen in my life that, that have been tragic, but have been good. But, gee, but God here says, ye are my witnesses. 
You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. So God has made choice of the nation of Israel for a particular purpose. God chose them in Abraham. Uh, the, the nation of Israel was unique in that God chose them to be a unique nation, to be a unique people. They had privileges that the other nations simply did not possess. When God chose Abraham, he chose Abraham and he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham was uh, in the midst of a very pagan society and God calls Abraham out of the midst of Ur of Chaldees to make of him a great nation. He gives him a promise that in thee all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And we know the story of Abram and Sarah. Sarai, how God took him out of Ur of Chaldees and he took him across the desert into a land that he did not have any knowledge of. He had never been to before. And so Abraham sets out on a journey of faith. And he comes into this land and God promises him that he is going to secure this land for his descendants. And so Isaac is born and God makes the same promise to Isaac in the midst of this land. And then Jacob is born and Jacob has 12 sons and the promise is made to Jacob and that, that promise is, is, is passed on to his 12 sons, Reuben and Levi and Asher and those 12 sons of Jacob. Well, through the course of time, Joseph is sold into slavery down in Egypt's land. And a famine come on the land and all of, all of Jacob's children move to Egypt's land. And there they are enslaved because the Bible tells us that another king arose that knew not Joseph. He had no knowledge of Joseph. And we know through this, the study of history that what actually happened was the Syrians came in and conquered Egypt and set their own king on the throne of Egypt. And that's why the king that had no knowledge of uh, Joseph was because he was not a true Egyptian. Uh, there's a whole uh, history of, of that. They were called the, the, the Hierakos in the land of Egypt. And that's why that happened. And so this foreign king enslaves the nation of Israel. But they are still God's chosen people. And the promise still remains that God had promised to give them the land. And to show great wonders in them. And so after a number of years, God brings them out of the land of Egypt and, and uh, delivers them from the Egyptian bondage that they were under. And they are brought across the wilderness and they come back into the land of Canaan. So God says, you are my witnesses saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. God chose them above all the nations of the earth to be special unto him, to deal with them in a very 
unique and special way. He says that ye may know and believe me. So what God chose the nation of Israel to that the other nations did not have was a very special and intimate knowledge that he was the true and the living God. You have to remember at this time that all the other nations, every one of them, every other nation served a false God. Every one of them. Israel was the only nation on the earth, the only nation on the earth that had the truth that God Jehovah was the one true and living God. They were the only ones that served the true God. He says that ye may know me and believe me, trust me. So God chose Jacob. He chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob. He chose the 12 sons of Israel to be special to him that they may know him and that they may come to trust and worship him. That they may truly believe him and understand that I am he. I want you to come to know and understand and believe that I am the true God, that I am. That's Jehovah. I am that I am. And he says, there's a colon here, so what goes after that colon is going to explain what went before. So what does he want them to understand? What is that special and unique knowledge that he gave to the nation of Israel? Before me, there was no God formed. So the first thing he wants them to understand is that before time began, uh, in eternity past, there was God, he was there, and there was nothing before God. God has always existed eternally, God Almighty. And neither shall there be after me. So we know that God is eternal, so there's no God before God, and there's no God after God, because there is no before and there is no after. With God, there is no before and there is no after. God is eternal and infinite in the sense that He has always been. Always. If He has always existed, there is no before and after. And that blows our minds, does it not? <laughs> To think of a time out of time <laughs> is unique. But he says, I, even I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I, even I am the Lord. And besides me, besides me, there is no Savior. Israel was to have the understanding that besides the Lord Jehovah, the eternal existent one, outside of him and his divine means, there is no salvation. There is no deliverance. 
over and over and over again in the Word of God, we see a, a continual record of God teaching the nation of Israel the same lesson over and over and over again. And that lesson is this. When you trust in something besides me to save you, you're going to fail. Over and over again, he says, Put not your trust in princes, neither in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help. Over and over again, he's teaching them, when you look to Egypt, when you look to the Chaldeans, when you look to the Philistines, when you look to these nations for help, when you look to men for help, and you don't come to me, and you don't trust me, and you don't seek to know me, it's going to end bad. Besides me, there is no salvation. I said it before we started this morning. If America continues to look to man for their salvation in war and in the medical community, they are doomed to failure because the truth has not changed. Besides God, there is no salvation. None. The doctors are not going to deliver us out of this pandemic. Medication is not going to deliver us out of this pandemic. You know what's going to deliver us out of this pandemic? God and God alone. Can he use doctors? Yes. Can he use medicine? Yes. He can use these things. But when men are looking to these things and not them as means of God's salvation, but simply looking to these, man's got the answer. They're doomed to failure. Besides me, there is no salvation. And we've got a, a perfect record of this. Folks, when Israel looked to the hills for their salvation, when they put their trust in the cutting-edge technology of the day, they were sold into slavery every single time. They lost the battle every single time. God had chosen them and delivered them and saved them so that they would know that God is God and that he is able to deliver in whatever circumstance you find yourself. God is able. That's what the three Hebrew children said, was it not? You remember them standing up before the wicked king there? And they said, our God is able to deliver us out of this fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They knew that God would deliver them, whether that was through death, because they viewed death as a deliverance. Whether that was through death, 
or actually delivering them out of the fiery furnace. God was going to deliver them anyway, but they knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was able to deliver them from the singe of the fires. They put their trust in God. They knew where their help came. They knew that they served a God that was able to deliver them. And so God chose the nation of Israel to teach them this valuable lesson that he is God and beside him there is no other and beside him there is no salvation. Outside of God is no salvation. He says, besides me there is no Savior. I have declared, I have told you this. That's what declared means. I have told you this. I have told you I'm God. I have, I have told you that I am your Savior. And then listen, and have saved. Not only has God told you that he's your Savior, but he saved you. He is your Savior. In the past of your existence, God has delivered you time and time again. You think back at the nation of Israel. Up until this point, we are late in the, in the history of Israel. Up until this point, they have been delivered all through their nation. You think of, first off, God brought them, uh, you go back to Noah, God delivered them from a flood, did he not? God delivered them from a flood. You go uh, to the life of Moses. Well, you go to Abraham, God delivered them from famine. Time and time again, multiple times, there's famine in the land. God delivers them. It was only when Abraham went down to Egypt for help, instead of looking to God for help, that he found himself in trouble. But then they go down into Egypt's land at God's direction because God had, had chosen that as a means for deliverance in the life of Joseph. You remember, God was using Joseph in Egypt to deliver his people. And that, in that instance, God did use that to deliver him. That was his choice. But then he delivers them out of uh, Egyptian bondage, and then he delivers them from the waters of Marah, and then he delivers them from starvation in the wilderness by giving them manna from heaven. He delivers them when they come into the land of Cana. From all the enemies round about, they swept through the land and conquered it with relative ease. He delivered them through the hand of David. When David stepped out and met Goliath head on on the battlefield. God delivered Israel time and time again. It was not that God was a potential Savior. They knew He was a Savior. They had a long history of His salvation. They had seen his deliverance time and time again. So God says, I have declared and have saved and I have shewed. I have showed you my salvation. When there was no strange God among you. Now whenever they, when Israel rebelled and began to serve strange gods, God did not deliver them. God did not show himself to be their God in those moments. They had none of the benefits and privileges. But when they recognized that God had chosen them to this purpose, that God had chosen them to reveal himself to and to show himself a Savior, 
When they recognized that, they followed him, they trusted him, they believed in him, God always, without fail, delivered them. Our faith in this country has wavered. And we have no reason for it to waver. Because you show me a moment where God failed to deliver his people. Show me one moment where God failed to deliver his people. I'm telling you, you won't find it. Besides me, there is no Savior. Listen to this. He says, Therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. They had seen the grace of God. They had seen the deliverance of God. They had seen God work mightily. They are witnesses of grace. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Not only is God the only Savior, when God does, listen to this, when God exacts punishment on his nation, who can deliver out of his hand? God can save you from everything, but everything in this world cannot save you from God. <laughs> you understand that? When God is punishing a people, the only thing that can deliver them out of God's hand is the people. You know, I, I have said this. God has used plagues in the past to punish his people. Go read Numbers. Go read Numbers. And I'm telling you, on the authority of the Word of God, that if, if, and I'm saying if, I'm not saying that what we're going through right now is a punishment from God, but there are indications, heavy indications, that it very well may be. And if, if this is a punishment of God upon this nation because of its departure from His truth, because of his people's departure from the truth, mark my words, there is no medicine on this planet that will ever save you from this plague. God will continually mutate this thing and it will continue to wreak havoc until we are broken because that's only when God stops. When God stops his punishment is when his people are broken. There is no doctor, there is no nurse, there is no medication, there is no pharmaceutical company that can deliver out of his hand. The only thing that will deliver out of God's hand when God is punishing his people is repentance. That's it. That is it. It is only when God's people in Israel fell on their faces, brokenhearted, and said, God, we are sinful people. And we are turning from our ways. Please deliver us from your hand. He says, there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall hinder it? He says, I'm going to do something, and who can prevent me from doing whatever I want to? The answer is nobody. 
Thus saith the Lord your Redeemer. There again, he reaffirms where our redemption is. Our redemption, God is our Redeemer. Our redemption is in him. The Holy One of Israel, for your sakes, listen, he's going to give an example of this, for your sakes I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. Do you remember when Israel was in bondage to Babylon? The Babylonians. God raised up a man by the name of Cyrus, prince of Persia. And this is what he's referring to here. He's referring to the moment that he sent the Persians into the nation of Babylon to deliver his people out of their bondage. They were in Babylon 70 years. When the 70 years was up, God sent the Persians and delivered them out of the hand of the Babylonians. And then he used the Persians to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's an amazing story. He says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. God is the one that created Israel by giving birth, allowing Abraham and Sarah to conceive seed. He says, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, in a path in the mighty waters. A way in the sea. Now when, when children, when did, did God make a way in the sea? That's right. This is what he's talking about here. The parting of the Red Sea. So God is giving them another example. So he gives them the example of the Persians delivering his people out of Babylon. And now he's, he's going to give a, a, uh, an example of, of the Egyptians when they were trapped against the Red Sea. And if you look at a map, uh, Ron Wyatt has done a lot of uh, research and he actually found the place where the Israelites crossed. And it's amazing. He actually sent divers down. He's got pictures of chariot wheels underwater. They've actually found this. Uh, and he found it because Solomon had placed two giant marble pillars on each side of the Red Sea to mark the place where they crossed. And it just so happens that at the place where they crossed the Red Sea, it's extremely deep on two sides, but there is a land bridge right where they crossed, all the way across, and it's, I think it's about 100 yards wide, and then after that it drops down to like 200 feet. And so God parted the Red Sea right there at that place where there was a land bridge, and they passed through on dry land. They had nowhere to go, but the, what I wanted to say is, the place where when you zoom in on the satellite footage, they, there's this narrow winding path that over a million people travel to and then it opens up into a beach and there's these massive giant ragged rocks that form the sides of this beach and so literally there is nowhere for them to go they are trapped in this beach that is surrounded by mountains and so God opens up the Red Sea and they're allowed to go through 
on dry land. He says, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise. Then it says they're past in, they are extinct. Extinct, they are quenched as the toe. That's talking about the moment that God brought the, the Egyptians. He moved the Egyptians to travel after them and they get in the middle of the water and what did God do, Levi? You remember the story? That's right. He brought the, the water back on top of them and he totally wiped out the Egyptians. And then he says in verse 18, Remember ye not the former things can neither consider the things of old. God is saying, you don't even think about these things. You're not considering that I have chosen you as my witnesses of grace. I have delivered you time and time again and you give no consideration to all the past deliverances. Do you, do you see yourself in the nation of Israel here? How many times has God delivered us and we are so quickly quick to forget all the things He's done for us? All the times that we didn't have money to pay our bills and all of a sudden we had money to pay our bills. All the time we had a truck breakdown at a very inconvenient time and all of a sudden God made a way to get a, a vehicle fixed. Or the time you had a flat tire and you didn't have a flat tire and here comes along somebody, you didn't have a tire to replace it and here comes along somebody with the exact tire you need. There's times and times again that God has delivered us personally and how quick are we to forget those deliverances. But he says, talking to Israel, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. What God is speaking about here is a prophecy. He's giving a prophecy. The waters in the wilderness, the rivers in the desert, the beast of the field drinking at this, at this river in the desert and these rivers in the, in the desert places is a prophecy concerning the Gentile nations. The Gentile nations are the beast in the fields. They're in the desert place where there is no... Uh, they have no knowledge of God. They have no... Uh, grace from God in this regard and so now God is saying I'm going to open up a river in these Gentile communities to the Gentile nations that they will know me and when did he do that he did it in the New Testament when he began to preach the gospel to the Gentile nations so the new thing that that God is going to do is to give his people drink the Gentile, his people among the Gentiles, because guess what? He had people among the Gentiles, even in the Old Testament. People that did not know him, they did not believe in him. He had people among those people back then. My chosen, this people I, that I have formed for myself, they shall shew forth my praise. They shall shew forth my praise. He's talking about the Gentile nations. You and I. We're Gentiles. We're not Jews. We're Gentiles. God is prophesying about us. 
God is talking about us all the way in the New Testament. What we're doing here today, God is talking about right here. God is telling of the day when you and I were going to come to this church and praise Him because we've had the gospel preached to us and we now know God. We know that He is our Savior. We know that there's no Savior beside Him because we've had the gospel preached to us. He's talking about us right here. He says, why did he, pre, why, did he form, why did he form this people? He formed them for himself, for myself. They should shew forth my praise. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. Now he's going back to Israel. He says, but you've not called upon me. But thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. You've grown tired of me. Do you see the same mistake being made today? Do you think we could say of the Christian church today that they've grown weary of God? You've not called upon me, old Jacob. I've told you there's no Savior beside me. I've showed you there's no Savior beside me. Time and time again, but you've not called upon me, old Jacob. You've not humbled yourself and cried unto me. You're weary of me. You've grown tired of me. You want the new best thing. You're, you're seeking after your own pleasure. He says, Thou hast not brought me small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve uh, with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. What God is saying here is, all I've asked in return for the knowledge of me, I've told you there's no other God beside me. I've showed you there's no other Savior beside me. All I've asked is that you worship me. That you pray unto me. That you believe me. That you trust in me. That you give praise to my name. That you, because He deserves it. He deserves it. And God says, you've grown tired of me and you're not worshiping me in the way that I, I have told you to worship me. They had departed from the way that God had told them to worship. And then he says, but thou hast made me serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. God says, you've made me put up with your sins. You've made me put up with your rebellion. Boy, that's a message for America today, isn't it? For the Christian church in America today, I think God could very well be said to be, have said this to our, our nation today. You have made me put up with your iniquities. You've wearied me with your outright rebellion because that's where we're at today we're in a state of outright rebellion people don't want to be told they're sinning how dare you tell me I'm sinning how, tell, how dare you tell me what I'm doing is wrong
But in spite of this, listen to what God tells us. And this is where we're going to end this morning. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. For mine own sake. Not for your sake. So much of Christianity has developed an egocentric religion. As if God has, has saved you just to make you feel better. God has saved you and blotted out your transgression, not so you can feel good. God has done it for his own sake. Your salvation is not about you. God delivering you from a devil's hell is not about you. It's about God and his glory. That's what it's about. And we're undeserving of our salvation. We deserve wrath. We deserve hell. And what God has given us is grace. Our salvation is all by grace. We don't deserve it. We are witnesses of his grace. God says, I have blotted out. I am he that have blotted out thy transgression for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. That's a beautiful language there. I will not remember your sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed thy transgressions from us. If God remembers your sins, you are held accountable to him. You are liable for the sins he remembers. But he remembers none of your sins. Why? Because as Corinthians says, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God remembers your sins because he laid all of your sins on Jesus Christ. He put them into the hands of the fit man, and the fit man carried them into the wilderness where they are remembered no more. Your sins have been paid for. Is this message of your sins being paid for old news? Is this something that you view as just, eh? Are you weary of salvation? Are you tired of hearing about your salvation? If you search your heart, and this is true of you, you need to get alone. And you need to pour your heart out to God. Because you've got sins in your life that have glossed you over. And you have a hard heart. The message of our salvation should be the grandest theme of our lives. God remembers our sins no more. By the grace of God, you are witnesses of grace. Besides Him, there is no salvation. You know this to be true. 
You've seen it in your own life. You've seen it in your own life. You are a witness of grace. You've seen how God deals with us in life. Now, what is the appropriate response? Well, it's definitely not what Israel did. Israel grew weary. Israel began to seek help from other people. The appropriate response is to fall on our knees and praise Him and call upon Him and ask Him for deliverance. I wonder how many Christians truly have fallen on their faces since the trouble began in this nation a couple of years ago. Have really gotten down on the floor, buried their face to the floor and said, God, we are ungrateful, unrighteous, all of us, myself included, unrighteous, hard-hearted, sinful, rebellious humans. Forgive us of our rebellion. How many have honestly, have we done this? Search your heart. Have you gotten on your face before Almighty God in a closet somewhere and said, God, we're sinful, we've sinned, forgive us of our transgressions, heal our land. Have you done it? Because it always starts with us first. We can't be worried about what everybody else. Well, if the church out there would just get on that. No. If I would get on my knees and I would confess my sin and the sins of this nation as if they were my own and beg God's forgiveness for them, then the Savior will show himself to be a Savior. <laughs> but as long as we are looking to false gods, idols we've erected as long as we continue to go on in rebellion you can rest assured that things will not change they will not I urge you as I'm going to take my own advice I've got a lot of confession to do I challenge you I challenge you to get before God and make these confessions and beg His salvation. He's our only hope. But He's the best hope. <laughs> He's the best hope. And He is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or think. May the Lord bless you, keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, and give you peace.